We are so glad you decided to join us today for our Compelled podcast. We hope this message encourages and inspires you. We would love for you to message us on social media and connect through our website at compelled316.com. Now let's get started. Bob Morrison is here to get us thinking about what it means to live a compelled life. Way back when, I was about 18 years old. I just graduated from respiratory therapy school and I thought it's gonna be an awesome career. And so I take this job in a hospital of about 200 beds and they put me on night shift. And on nights, you're it. There were no other respiratory therapists, so everything that happened, I was on my own. And I don't know if you know what respiratory therapists do, but basically if someone stops breathing, we're the ones responsible for that. We put this big plastic tube down into their throat, connect it up to a little handheld machine and breathe for them. And if they need CPR, we do chest compressions. If you get shot, stabbed, jump off a building, take too many pills, have a heart attack, whatever it is that causes your body to stop doing what it's supposed to do, they call respiratory therapy. We come running and we're part of a rescue team that tries to bring you back. So on night shift, I was the only respiratory therapist and I'm hoping that I can just do my time, do my shift, no calls, no nothing, just, uh, you know, typical teenage mind, fresh out of college. I get this call that says they want me to come up to the nursery and our nursery's not really big. So I go running upstairs to the nursery. I get inside, uh, put in all my, my gear, my gown, my hat, my mask, gloves, you name it, because I know we're, they're delivering a baby in the dock he's this uh, old stodgy doc that's been there for uh, 101 years and he turns to me and he says kiddo's coming out now hands the baby over to me and says the baby's not breathing do what you can i'm going to try to fix mom so there in those first moments of my job i'm handed this lifeless baby and uh, i'm here to tell you that that's a full attention getter this is Pucker Factor 10. So I take the baby and I, I put the little girl in a what they call a warmer and I uh, start drying her off and the nurse is handing me the things I need and she and I are trying to uh, get this kid going again and we use a special piece of machinery to suck everything out of the baby's mouth and the back of the throat and uh, have a little mask that it's so tiny, it's like a little Dixie cup connected to a machine to try to breathe for the baby. And we just keep trying to dry her and warm her and, and get air into her lungs. And uh, we're, we're trying this for what seems like forever. And all of a sudden, the baby pops awake, starts crying. Uh, man, you know, there's a, a relief that's almost indescribable at that moment. Uh, it's the turning point. You're at that spot so many times I worked in the nursery when the baby never does start crying and things get to a fevered pitch where you're going through all the CPR, you're giving all the meds, you're doing everything you can to save a baby's life and it doesn't turn out. And uh, I've been in on so many of those where the family comes in to see the mom and then they look at the baby who's not breathing and they look at me standing at the head of the warmer and you have this feeling that you've let them down that you've failed 
it is uh, one of those tough moments in medical care in the nursery. You just have those. But on this particular night, this baby starts crying, gets pink. Mom gets better. They get her all taken care of. And ultimately, the two of them go home. And it was the start of my career. You know, I did this for 40 years, seeing lots of bad things. In that same hospital, I worked on a uh, ER assignment one night. It was actually about, I think, maybe four in the afternoon. And they bring in a little boy. It's on Mother's Day. They bring in a little boy, and he's not breathing. He's been hit by a car. So we begin the process of CPR, put an airway in. We're doing CPR. Someone's doing chest compressions. We're breathing for him. They put an IV in. We're trying all these things we can to save this boy's life. And the first question that came up was, where's the parents? And the uh, ambulance crew and the cops that were there said, here's the problem. We don't know who he is. We don't know what house he came from. So they had uh, men and women from law enforcement and from EMS going door to door saying, do you happen to have a little boy that's about this tall, brown hair, wearing these clothes? Until they came to a mother who said, yes, he's out riding his bike. What well, turned out, the little boy had got on his brother's bike, which was uh, a different kind of brake system. Uh, on small bikes, on kids, you just pedal backwards and you hit the brakes. But for some reason, this little boy decided to take his older brother's bike, which had handbrakes. If you pedal backwards, the pedals just turn. You don't do anything. You don't stop. Witnesses said he came down the hill and they could see him pedaling backwards, frantically going right into traffic until the car hit him and ran over him. So when they bring the mom in, the mom comes in, obviously completely losing her mind, wailing, watching as we continue to do CPR, continue to breathe for him, giving him oxygen, medicine, anything we can. And we're all watching the monitor, waiting for some sign of life. Nothing comes. And at some point, the doctor turns to the mother and says, we've done everything we can. We're not going to win this battle. And I'm here to tell you that when a mother drops to her knees and wails for the loss of her child, it cuts through you like a knife. It's a moment you'll never forget. And I hope that you don't ever have to experience it. There's something about it that it takes a little piece of your soul. And she wailed forever and she pleaded with each one of us. She would take a hold of my scrubs and said, please don't stop. Please do not stop. And she pleaded with each nurse, with the doctor. And one by one, we each stopped doing what we were doing. And we pulled the sheet up until we covered the little boy all but his face. And she laid there beside him, kissed his forehead, and held on to him and sobbed. The life was lost, the heart was broken. I think those kind of moments shouldn't have to be experienced by anybody, but unfortunately, life happens. And today, I was just trying to read through some things in the Bible, trying to figure out 
what God's plan is and why and when things happen, how they affect us, why they affect us. How does it all fit together? You know, it's almost like a puzzle for me. And I begin to think back to every decision I made, every place I went, each person involved. And why did God allow me to meet someone who wasn't necessarily good for me in my life? Why does God allow us to fail in a class? Why does he let us take a job that obviously derails us from our faith? And I got one of my best answers for all of that from one of my patients. Um, she was a nun. And uh, I just always called her sister just because um, that's just habit. You know, I don't know what her full name was, but we just called her sister. And she was dying. So I would go in and sit with her. And I didn't really have a faith at the time. I didn't really fully understand who God was. And, and it was just one of those times when I would just go in and hang out with her. And we'd watch a little baseball on TV. Um, sometimes if she had something that she could eat by a spoon, I would spoon up some bites to her. And we would just talk. And as it got closer to the end for her, I always felt like she was this wealth of knowledge about the Bible and about God. And I said to her one day, Sister, why do all these bad things happen? And she said, what do you mean? And I said, if you look around, you know, uh, crazy stuff, people shooting each other and every kind of natural disaster or man-made disaster. There's so many bad things in the world. Why do people do the things they're doing? And she said, the short answer, free will. I said, you're going to have to give me more than that. I said, I don't know that I've even really read the Bible. She said, here's the awesome thing about God. He loves you no matter what. He gives you the instructions you need to try to get through this life being as good and as kind as possible to try to understand that uh, he loves you and he has a plan for you. But we as humans, we get derailed. We begin to pursue what we want, what we like at any cost. And sometimes people just choose to do really bad things. And she said, I don't want you to lose faith in who God is because bad things happen. She said, that's one of the big myths of faith and religion is that people begin to believe that you can steer God to do the things you want done. He doesn't operate that way. He says, listen, I love you. I, I allow you to have this life on earth to be whoever you choose to be. I, do I want you to follow me and be a light to people around you? Absolutely. Will you? I don't know. That's up to each one of us. We all have the chance to go out there, make a difference, be kind, do kind things for others. But somewhere along the way, some of us get swayed. We get derailed. We become influenced by the people around us and by our circumstance. I mean, I've sat in the ER and talked to people and I said, you know, this is a really bad situation for you. Because I worked at a hospital where we also had criminals who came in that were 
getting ready to be uh, arrested once they got well enough or they got sewed up. And uh, I remember talking to this guy and I said, it's a really bad situation for you. It looks bad from what we see. And the guy says, well, I don't know what came over me. He said, you know, we're buddies. He said, we ride around every night in the car together. We hang out, we play cards, we drink, chase girls, howl at the moon. And he said, we just got in a disagreement and we both pull knives on each other. He takes a slice at me and I take a swing at him. And now here I am getting stitches and my buddy's in surgery fighting for his life. And the thing is, if his buddy dies, he's gonna be arrested for murder. At the very least, reckless homicide. And they're trying to sort it all out. And I remember they go in and they talk to the friend um, before he went into the surgery and they said, listen, um, there's a good chance you're not gonna make it out of this surgery. And I'm thinking how terrible that is to hear when you're laying there. And they tell the guy, hey, your friend says that at one point he had you pinned against the wall with a chair across your neck and that you guys were in the kitchen and you both grabbed knives and things got bad. So we're gonna record you and this cop's talking to him and the cop says, we're gonna record you and we're gonna call it the dying man's oath. So if you do die in this surgery, we can use it in court. We can use it to put your friend away for murder, homicide, or um, for reckless manslaughter, whichever it ends up being by the judge. Or we can use it to defend him. But you have the chance right now, while you're still alive, to tell us, did he have any choice? Was it an accident? You know, this is your chance to tell us your story. And the guy said, I didn't want it to go like this, but he said, there was just a point where we were both in a panic and we both lost our minds and we were both doing things that we didn't want to do. And he said, when I pinned him to the wall with a chair across his neck, he wasn't going to make it. He wasn't going to survive unless he defended himself. So he reached around, grabbed the knife and stuck me with it in the chest. And keep in mind, these are buddies, right? Trying to strangle each other, stab each other, throwing each other around the room. And when it's all said and done, the guy goes to surgery and he doesn't survive. Had his friend not testified on his behalf, he would have been sent to prison for most of his life. Instead, he was uh, not charged. They called it self-defense. So he has to carry that around for the rest of his life that he stabbed his buddy over something stupid. You know, the thing about all of our decisions, when we act on them, most of the time, they're not permanent. Most of the time, we get a do-over. I think if I could find that guy and ask him, you know, what do you think about every day? What goes through your head? He would say, I would have done things differently. 
And I think that's true of every one of us. We have those little seasons in life where we can look back and say, man, I would have done that so different if I had a chance to. Maybe you look back and you say, that was the most terrible decision I ever made in my relationship. And if I had it to do over, I wouldn't have done it like that. Maybe you're one of those people that said, if I had it to do over, I would have never married that guy or I never would have married that girl. Maybe I would have never took that job. Maybe I would never would have moved away. We end up basing our life on the things that have happened to us. And we look back and we just kind of tell ourselves, uh, I could have done better or I, I should have made a better decision. But how we carry it as we go on matters. I think that too many times we package all that stuff up in boxes and we drag it around with us in our head. And we begin to view ourselves in that respect. Like we have made too many mistakes or we've got too much baggage that we're no longer even functional. We're just going through the motions. We get up and we get dressed and we just go through the day, but we're really not, quote, doing life. We're not out there trying to shine, trying to be whatever it is that God believes we're capable of. We lose sight of who he sees us as. And all we want to do is hang this label on ourselves based on our past, our mistakes, uh, our actions, the things that we most likely are just filled with regrets and questions. And I wonder what we would look like if we could get up every day Take on the day as it's the first one. Today we get up and everything that happened from midnight back does not matter. Imagine if you could just take that out and say, all my mistakes, all my failures, all the bad decisions, all the places I've been, the people that have hurt me, that I've hurt. What if none of that mattered? What if it all went away so you could get up in the morning fresh and just say, okay, God, let's just do this. Today, it's just you and me. Where do you want me? What can I do that would really benefit that person? How can I go out and, and be the one I've always dreamed I could be? I think it's possible, but it takes a little bit of discipline. It takes a little bit of faith to say that, you know, to actually say, God, I'm yours. I'm going to say something scary here. Like, um, I don't know if you remember this one, Francis Chan talks about this prayer that uh, he said this is the scariest prayer you could ever say God protect me from everything except that which brings you glory sounds like such a simple prayer but if you're basically giving God permission to allow you to be just thrown out there in it in any direction in any way used by any person any situation as long as it brings God glory that's all you're asking for. Wow. I want to do that. I mean, I try to do that. But my panic button gets hit sometimes. Right when I step over there to the edge, right where the wind is blowing from the edge, I can feel it. And I know if I take one more step, I'm completely out of control. It's all God's in control. I have none. That's the point where I wish every one of us could exist. We could start right there where we say, let's do this. Let's step off the edge together and see what God brings. Let's see where he sends us. Let's see the people that he puts in our path. 
imagine how excited we would be. I would get up early. I would set the alarm early just to get up and say, okay, God, let's do it. Where are we going? Let's just knock it out of the park. But instead, we have this anchor called life. And I guess my prayer for you and me is that we could find a way to not let that anchor drag us back and hold us back from everything that he's got planned for us. Bad things are gonna happen. This life is going to be a mess. But the only way that we can rise above it is to understand that at the end of the day, he loves us. He wants to be with us every day and every moment. And we have free will, we have a choice. We can dismiss him or embrace him. So I hope you get out there and do something wild today. Say, God, let's just do this. Hey, this is Bob Morrison. I'll see you somewhere out there. We are truly thankful you chose to spend some time with us here at Compelled. If you enjoyed today's message, we encourage you to like it, share it on social media, and check out our website, compelled316.com. God bless you, and we hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you somewhere out there.